For those who don't know, we've been going through the book of Judges. We finished that last week, and as is often the case between series, we're doing some one-offs at the moment. This evening is a topical one-off. We're not in any one particular Bible passage. We're dealing with a topic. It's a big and a difficult topic, and if by the end you're still left with questions and issues, please do ask me, because I know I'm going to raise some difficult issues, and I'm not going to answer all of them completely. So please do ask your questions or come to me with your difficulties about it afterwards. Last year, a young man that I know well said that he'd deconverted. That was his phrase, he'd deconverted. He'd been baptised in his early teens. He'd been reading the Bible every day. I know that because I know him well. He had been reading the Bible every day. He prayed at prayer meetings. Can you imagine the encouragement to his church that his young teenager turned up and at prayer meetings and prayed? What an encouragement. He went on youth camps and now he says, the Bible isn't true. I don't believe in God. I expect we all know people like that. Some turn in a very definite way. Some drift in a very gradual way. We all know people who've really discouraged us And it can really trouble us, can't it? And it can bring up difficult and troubling questions. And we mustn't turn a blind eye to this and just pretend it doesn't happen. Let's let's carry on and sweep that away out of sight. No, we mustn't do that. So I want to teach you about it now. You might be thinking, why now? Is it just I've got to pluck a subject out of somewhere because I haven't thought of the next series? No, in our home groups we've been going through Hebrews and... In recent months, we got to Hebrews 6 and to Hebrews 10. And both chapters are difficult chapters that raise the question, can you lose your salvation? And it's too big and serious an issue to be left to just a couple of brief discussions in a home group. So I thought, must come back to it, we must consider it again this evening. So I want to answer the question now. I will answer the question, can you lose your salvation? Because it's important we do answer that question, but it's also important we don't start there. So we're going to start with this. And as usual, it's on the notice sheet, if that will help you. We're going to start with this. You must persevere. You must persevere. We've got to start there, rather than directly answering our question, can you lose your salvation? We must start with, you must persevere. When I was 16, my cousin, who was also 16, died. And at his funeral, they said, he's in heaven because he made a decision for Jesus when he was eight. So, yes, of course, we're really sad, but we also have this hope. We're sad, but we're not just sad because he's in heaven because of what he prayed when he was eight years old. Now, this was news to me because I didn't know him when he was eight. He wasn't really my cousin. He's my stepmother's nephew. I'd known him as a teenager. And as a teenager, he, had no, he showed no interest in Jesus at all. He was interested in drugs. He was into that scene and girls, but not Jesus at all. But because he prayed this prayer when he was eight, it was confidently affirmed at his funeral, he's in heaven now. Ignore what's happened in between. Well, they just conveniently didn't mention that. Is that right? Well, you will not get that from the Bible. The Bible's teaching on this subject has been called the perseverance of the saints. And that's a good name because it's very different from once a person's made a decision or shown signs of conversion, they're saved regardless of what they do. 
It's very different from that. No, it's called perseverance of the saints because we must persevere. In other words, we must keep following Jesus. The Bible warns you repeatedly, you must persevere. Let's get some examples. Well, let's start with the book that prompted this sermon. Let's start with Hebrews. You may like to turn to Hebrews. We're going to be in various parts of the Bible, but that would be a good place to turn to. Let's start with some examples from Hebrews. If you've been coming to home groups, you'll know Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians wondering about turning back to Judaism. The going has got hard. Pressure has been put on them. They're wondering about turning back. And it's written to these people to say, no, you must persevere. And it warns them repeatedly. Here's an example, chapter 2, verse 1. Hebrews 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore or if we neglect such a great salvation? Warn them. We've got to pay careful attention. No hint of, well, you prayed a prayer sometime, didn't you? So it'd be better if you didn't drift back to Judaism, but I'm sure it would be all right in the end. No, pay careful attention. And it tells us how to pay careful attention. Chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See to it, brothers. Look out for each other. That you don't have a, a heart that turns away from Christ. Encourage one another so that you're not hardened by sin, because sin is really deceitful, and you can really pull you under. Warning. It's so far from. Once converted, doesn't matter what you do. You're, you're safe. It will all turn out all right in the end. See again, for example, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Be careful. Make sure you don't fall short. There is a promise. Make sure you've you've got hold of that promise and you're going to receive it. And so we get that uh, warning that we read earlier from chapter 6. Chapter 6 describes people who look so good but end up in hell. That surely is what's happening, isn't it? Verses 4 to 6, they look so good. And then when in verse 8, it talks about, in the end it will be burned. clearly talking about these people are ending up in, in hell. Now, the writer of the Hebrews says to the Hebrews, I don't think that's actually you. Verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, Things that accompany salvation. We don't think that's you, but we are warning you. You still need to take notice of the warning. Verse 11, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. There are promises And we see hopeful signs that you've got a hold of those promises. But 
Don't turn that into laziness. Don't turn that into an excuse. We want you to be diligent and patient and keep going. And so chapter 10, which we got to very recently in home group, is is similar. Verse 32, chapter 10, verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. It says... The writer says to these Hebrews, you've had a good first half, haven't you? You've had a really good first half. Think back about that. And then he says, effectively to them, don't be like the England football team. You know what that's like? Good first half, and then come out for the second half and think, we've got this all sewn up. It's all all right, we can ease back. And then throw it all away, don't they? He says, no, don't be like that. You've You've had a good first half. But that doesn't mean ease up and be complacent in the second half. No, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Not what you've earned by good perseverance. What he's promised, but you need to keep going in his promises. Well, many more examples in Hebrews. But Hebrews is following what the Lord said. It's nothing new. It's what the Lord said. Jesus said, he is the vine and we are the branches. And like a branch, we will die if we don't stick in him. Stick with him. The picture is a a branch in a vine. It is not batteries and he's the charger. And you get your charge from him and then off you can go and you can last on your own for a while that hopefully is until you've reached to heaven. No, it's, it's branches in a vine and they have to always be in the vine or they're dead pretty quickly. Jesus said, this is now John 8, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Jesus said, this is now Matthew 10, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. In fact, the need to persevere is so vital, so essential, it needs so much carefulness that Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, gouge it out, knife it out and throw it away from you. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to end up in hell. And he said that in the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. You've got to to fight sin and take care to persevere, whatever the cost. So becoming a Christian isn't like the lobster getting in a lobster pot. We've got a few children here this, this evening. Do you know what a lobster pot is like? There's this basket lowered down to the bottom of the sea and it's got a hole in it. And it's very easy for the lobster to get in the hole, but once it's in, it's very hard to get out. The way it's designed is clever. You can get in easily, but it can't get out. Easy in, but not easy out, said the lobster in the lobster pot. And becoming a Christian isn't like that. Easy to get in, but once you're in, you never get out again. No. When God saves people, when he takes them to heaven... He doesn't do it by waving a magic wand. No, he does it by using means. He has methods. He does it by telling us to repent and believe. He does it by warnings in the Bible and promises. He does it by other Christians watching out for us, encouraging us and correcting us. He does it by us carefully persevering. 
And those means, those methods are not optional. They're essential. We must use them. We must persevere. So there's the first thing, and we had to start there. It's so important. You must persevere. But now we can move on to say this. God's children will persevere. The Bible's teaching, uh, I said on this, has been called the perseverance of the saints. And that's a good name because we must persevere. But it's also saying the saints will persevere. If a person truly has salvation, they will persevere. And so the answer to can you lose your salvation is no. A very definite no. And it has to be no. And I want to show you from a few places. And I hope as, as we go through them, and I hope you'll follow them in the Bible, you'll see both the verses say so, and it's a matter of the nature of salvation. It's not salvation if you can lose it. So let's go through a few places. The first one you probably don't need to turn to, because the first one's John 3.16. Children here, do you know John 3.16? I hope so. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. Could I have eternal life today and not have eternal life next year? Well, it wouldn't be eternal life, would it, if I could have it today and not have it next year? By definition, it wouldn't be eternal life. Now, in case someone's saying, ah, yes, but maybe it's saying so that you could possibly in the future have eternal life, but you can't be sure now you've got it. Maybe it's even more clear in John 5. Would you have a look at John 5? And verse 24. John chapter 5 and verse 24. 5.24, I tell you the truth, this is the Lord speaking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Notice, has eternal life, and has crossed over from death to life. Now I said, I hope you'll see it on, in the verses here, that I'm going to quote, that this salvation cannot be lost, but I hope you'll also see it's a matter of the nature of salvation. The nature of salvation is at stake here, and it's this. Salvation is not the possibility that you might get eternal life in the future. Salvation is having eternal life now. And if you have eternal life now, you'll have eternal life forever, by definition. John's Gospel is very definite. This eternal life is received by believing. Now, it's interesting that John's Gospel, it it, it emphasises that maybe more than any of the other Gospels, but John's Gospel also, maybe more than any of the others, describes people believing and then leaving Christ, or being wrong at heart. Has John got confused? Did he write a bit of a mishmash that doesn't make sense? Or is he introducing another condition and believing, but here's the small print, there's more to come? No, what he's doing is he's illustrating what this believing is like. He's illustrating this believing that gets eternal life is not like the crowds believing Jesus 
ah, Jesus is great. He can get us whatever we want. He can, look, he can feed 5,000 people. And they believe him until they discover his agenda is not what they want. And then they turn away. This believing is not like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were believers. Do you know that? The Pharisees believed Jesus came from God. The Pharisees believed the miracles were genuine. They believed, but then we won't have him because he endangers our position. Their problem was not unbelief. They believed, but they rejected. Now, John is illustrating that there are beliefs that are not this belief that gets eternal life. No, he tells us in in his introduction what the right belief is. Chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This believing is receiving Jesus as he really is. Let's pause and just make sure I've got everyone's attention for something that's slightly off topic, but so important. Have you got that sort of believing? Not believing, this Jesus is great, he can can get me the life I want. Not a believing he's true, but you haven't yet made up your mind, do you want him? Or you're holding him at arm's length. A believing that, that receives him as he really is. Yes, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and my Saviour. Have you got that sort of believing? Because it's that and only that sort of believing that receives eternal life. Let's move on to another place in John to see God's children will persevere. Chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 37. John chapter 6, verse 37. Again, Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, the nature of salvation is at stake here. Because the nature of salvation is this, it depends on Christ. It all depends on him. Is he a saviour who really saves? Does he live up to his name? What's his name? Jesus. What does Jesus mean? And I'm glad it was quoted exactly. The angel Gabriel said, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the Father has given the Son a people. And the question is, will he lose any of those people the Father has given him? Will any not be raised up at the last day? Will any miss out or or, or, or be dropped out? And John chapter 6 says, well that would mean Jesus failed to do God's will. If he loses any, if he fails to raise up any of those people the Father has given to be his people, he would have failed to do God's will. The Son of God would be a failure. Well, that would be the end of this universe, wouldn't it? If the Son of God was a failure, the universe would disintegrate. 
Let's move on into Romans and chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 29. Romans 8 and verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now again, I hope it's obvious we have it here clearly in the verse. Those he, those he, those he. There are no gaps in this verse for you to drop down between the phrases. Do you see? It's got this... He's got these phrases. There are those he predestined. And they are the ones he called. And they are the ones he justified. And they are the ones he glorifies. No gaps between the phrases for you to fall down through your own folly. It's clear a person called by God will also be glorified by God. And the verse has no room for exceptions. Now, and again, it's in the nature of salvation. Because salvation is this. If you are saved, it's because God has set his love on you. And despite knowing that you were no more deserving than anyone else, and despite knowing that you were no more likely to believe than anyone else, he determined to save you. So determined that he did, well, what verse 32 says, he didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Well then, verse 32 says, he's going to give you all that you need to to finish the plan, to complete the job. He's justified you, verse 30 says, he's justified you. He's made a once for all legal declaration. You are innocent, you are righteous in my books and in my sight. And that doesn't get reversed. He's not going to go back on that. And so we can say he's predestined you. What does that fancy word mean? Well, it means he's made sure you'll get to the destination. And anyone who's been in an airport or at a railway station knows what a destination is. He's made sure you'll get to the destination. Let's have one more example. Just one more. We could have so many. Let's, so we've been in the Gospels. We've been in a, an epistle of Paul. Let's get a letter of John. Let's go to 1 John. And this one will be less obvious. But I think we'd be missing something very important if we didn't go to this one. 1 John chapter 3. The connection may not be obvious at first, but we need this if we're going to understand it. 1 John 3 and verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Why have I read this? Because we've we've seen there in Romans the work of God for us. But here we're reminded that the work of God also makes a difference in us. And we've got to see that side of salvation if we're going to understand this. 
Yes, there's that work of Christ for us 2,000 years ago, but there's also the work of God in us now. The nature of salvation is it's God's work in us. Becoming a Christian isn't just a decision I make and then I could unmake it. It's the work of God in the heart. He gives us new birth, a new heart, new power in our lives. And that newness given by God will have effect in our lives. The person who has that, what does 1 John 3 say? The person who has that cannot just carry on unrepentantly in sin. They can't just keep going in sin and and not care about it and stick in it. No. They can't turn from Jesus and stay that way. If they've had that work of the Holy Spirit in them, that new heart, they're not going to stay away from Jesus because they're not just a person on their own, in their own power. They've had a work of God in the heart. God has done a work in us so we can and will persevere. This is the key to understanding this whole subject, actually. We must persevere. And the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart means the child of God can and will persevere. Now, we could give many more examples. I've actually had to be disciplined and cross out a load from my notes because I realised I'd go on too long. Many more examples. But I hope that's enough to show No, you cannot lose your salvation, otherwise it wouldn't be salvation. You must persevere, the child of God will persevere, but thirdly, you must not presume. We've got to try to hold all of these together. You must not presume. Now, who was the New Testament written to? And the New Testament was written to people called brothers. I'm not denying that we can use it evangelistically, but it was written to people called brothers, people in the church, people who said Jesus is Lord, and their life gave an indication they meant it. But not all of them turn out to be genuine. There was once a couple who said they were trusting in Jesus. This married couple did. And they said they were repenting. And the church leaders of the time, who were godly, wise men, accepted this and baptised them and welcomed them into the church and were right to do so. Whatever came later, they were right to do so. And that couple got involved in the church and it was a really close-knit church where people knew each other really well and they seemed a really impressive couple. And they seemed a very generous couple. But their heart was not right, and it was all to look good. Do you know their names? Ananias and Sapphira. And if you don't know their story, you can read it in Acts 5. A terrible, solemn story it is. One of the things it's showing us is, you can experience a lot and yet be short of salvation. That's what's going on in Hebrews 6. I hope you understood that when we were looking at it in home group. If you're in a home group, if you're not, I really recommend them. If you can get along to one. Hebrews 6 describes great spiritual experiences in people who then end up in hell. Hebrews 6 isn't true, Christians. It's not saved people. I hope you've seen already. It can't be. That's impossible for it to be saved people. It would make the word saved totally meaningless. But Hebrews 6 is saying, you could see the truth. And be convicted of sin. Remember that king that 
Paul preached to and he was convicted of sin. And you can enjoy praising God. And you can be affected by the Holy Spirit working. Think of the many people in revival times, in revival churches. They experience great things but not saved. You could have a joyful response to the gospel. Remember the parable of the sower and there's seed in stony ground and it springs up and it looks really healthy. And it withers away. A joyful response that doesn't last. You can have them and yet it not be salvation. And so we must not presume. This morning in family worship in my family, we got to John 13. Great chapter, lovely chapter with Jesus washing his disciples' feet and good fun for the children to act out washing each other's feet and so on. But then it has this solemn aspect to it. And although I must have read it so many times, I still found it a shock to read it again. Jesus at that meal says to his disciples, one of you will betray me. And the disciples stare at each other and it says, at a loss to know who he meant. And later when Jesus says to Judas, go and do what you've got to do quickly, they still don't know what he means and thinks, is he going to give some money to the poor? I find it amazing. No one said, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, no one said, oh, it must be Judas. You know, when we went out preaching, I noticed his grip on the gospel isn't that good. Oh, it must be Judas. I've been worried about his conversation recently. He's been a bit off. Oh, it must be Judas. When we went out doing all those miracles, did you notice that he couldn't do, he couldn't heal people? Oh, it must be Judas. Because when we were casting out demons, he couldn't do it. No one said that, did they? They were at a loss to know who it was. None of them had a clue it was Judas. In other words, Judas experienced such a lot and looked so good. And yet in John 13, Jesus said, Judas had not been made clean by him. So you mustn't presume from past experience. I hope you don't. Is there anyone here? And it's, I must be all right because look at what happened in the past. I must be all right because of, look at, look at that baptism. Look at that decision. Look at that prayer. Look at those years of service. You must not presume. You must make sure you are repenting, you are trusting, you are persevering now. Not even yesterday, now. If you say, well, I don't need to concern myself with these warnings because I'm a believer. I can get away with playing with that sin because I'm a believer. You know, people say I should admit that that thing I've done was wrong, but... It will all be all right in the end because I'm a believer. What are you believing? You say you're a believer. What are you believing? Because it's not the Bible with its warnings. And it's not Jesus who said, you must abide in me. You must stay in the vine and you must fight sin, even to the extent of knifing out your eye. Take that metaphorically. But it is saying, fight it hard. The real believer believes the promises and has security in them and the warnings and therefore perseveres. You must persevere. You must not presume. But I must end on this. You must not despair. That sounds a bit... All these you must not might sound a bit harsh. This is supposed to be giving comfort, but I'm trying to follow my pattern. You must, you must. And you must not despair, actually. You must not. Because the devil is a vicious and unreasonable enemy, isn't he? 
And what he does is he'll persuade you, play with that sin, it doesn't matter. Once saved, always saved, you'll be all right. Uh, Don't worry about Jesus. Once saved, always saved, you'll be all right. And he'll persuade you of that. And then when you've fallen and you've sinned, he'll persuade you, ah, you must be a Hebrew 6 person. No hope for you now. Give it all up. No, what a vicious, unreasonable enemy he is. You must not despair. You have to remember, there is such a thing as backsliding. A Christian falling into sin, but then being restored. A person drifting from God, but then coming back. Oh, now, if you're thinking, oh, well, that makes it all right, I don't need to worry too much. No, you're misusing it. I'm talking now to people in danger of despairing, not in people in danger of people in danger of being careless. Don't despair. There is such a thing as falling and being restored. King David's the obvious example, isn't he? And it seems it went for at least nine months with him not admitting his sin and not facing up to it because he doesn't until after the baby's born as a result of his adultery. And James, the brother of Jesus, he talks about bringing back someone who has wandered from the truth. He does say you'll save them from death, so if you are wandering, don't mess around. He says it can result in death. But he says you can bring such people back. And Galatians talks about restoring someone caught in sin. It says you can get caught in it and it will harm you. So don't mess about, but it says you can bring someone back who's caught in sin. So if you have wandered from the truth, if you have been caught in a sin, don't despair. If you're sorry for that sin, if you want to come back to Jesus, that's evidence you are not the person we read about in Hebrews 6. No, you're not, because Hebrews 6 says those people cannot repent. Those people don't care. Hebrews 6 is describing people opposing Christ. They've turned their back on him and now they're determined to be against him, and publicly so, and bring other people with them in it. So if you're sorry for your sin and you want to be back with Christ, one thing we can say for definite is you're not that person in Hebrews 6. The part of the Bible for you is not Hebrews 6, it's Revelation 22. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And you think, am I thirsty enough? I don't know if I feel it enough. Oh, well, it says, whoever wishes, let him come and take the free gift of the water of life. Christ will welcome you if you come to him. Don't despair. Similarly, if you have children or others you love who've professed faith and then wandered off and they're now far from Jesus, don't despair. A profession of faith that wasn't real is not the unforgivable sin. It is not the Hebrew 6 person. Keep praying. Keep showing God's love. Keep witnessing sensitively when you get an opportunity. And don't despair. Well, let's end with the book that prompted this message, Hebrews. It's written because we must persevere. It's written so we do persevere. What's the number one way it gives us to persevere? It gives us all sorts of practical things, like you need other Christians to look after you, and you need to not stop coming to church and keep meeting together. But what's the number one way it gives us to persevere? 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. And many of you know that that's a verse in Hebrews, what is it, 12. But it's not just one verse. It's actually the whole book. The whole book is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because the whole book is about him. Isn't that significant? A book to get people to persevere is all about Jesus. And it's all about he's better than anything else you might turn to. Keep your eyes on him. He's better than anything else. Keep reminding yourself that. Keep reminding yourself how you need him. Keep reminding yourself just how trustworthy he is. Keep reminding yourself what a great thing it will be to go and be with him. Keep heading towards him. That's the way to persevere.